Who are the ad watchers? We are attorneys at the National Advertising Division of BBB National Programs, a team with 50 years of experience investigating and resolving disputes over the accuracy of national advertising campaigns. We don't just take ads at face value, we put them to the test. Why? Because advertising law can be simple, but it's the execution that's hard. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode three of season three of Ad Watchers, the podcast where your dedicated hosts, Dan and Annie, take you on a tour of various advertising law issues, pointing out pitfalls and snares along the way, and guiding you to the land of truthful and accurate advertising. Annie, I found myself in a bit of a quandary last week. So what was it, Dan? Well, I went into my local CVS to purchase two Mother's Day cards, one for my mom and one for my wife as the mother of our nine-year-old daughter. Now, Annie, many of these cards claimed that the recipient of the card was the number one mom. So, Annie, what was I to do? If only one of the two cards I bought was addressed to the number one mom, would I be saying that either my mom or my wife was a superior mother to the other? But how could I give them both a number one mom card? They can't be both number one, can they? Annie, it was a case of consumer confusion. Well, I think they could. There there are special exceptions, right? Maybe in the Mother's Day category. But number one claims are, are widely used and very common. And I think in the case of number one moms, objectively provable claims. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. I'll, I'll tell you, though, I decided right then and there that number one claims would make a perfect topic for our podcast. And Annie, it just so happens that number one claims are one of my favorite types of claims because they really are the quintessential marketing claim, aren't they? You know, number one claim is saying that we're the best in some respect. And isn't that fundamentally what all marketing is about at some level? presenting a product to consumers as superior to the products of competitors. So I guess it's not really a surprise that number one claims are new, is it, Annie? No, we've seen them for a long, long time and at many different industries, right? We see them from household cleaning products to telecommunications to personal care products. But interestingly, we have seen a sharp increase in these claims in the last few years and not just in the typical you know, product categories, but in different industries with more nuanced claims. So take, for instance, apartments.com. This was a challenge brought by Zillow. They challenged many popularity claims in video and direct mail ads. Some of the ads were directed at landlords, while others were directed towards renters. The claims included the most popular place to find a place, the most popular place to lease your place, a number one site for renters, and that Apartments.com is the number one listing network for houses, townhomes, condos, and apartments. You've probably seen the commercials with Jeff Goldblum, where he appears as a fictional character, Brad Bellflower, the inventor of Apartmenternet. <laughs> but humorous undertones aside, he explains that Apartments.com has the most listings because they're willing to scout them out no matter how far away and how apartments.com has found over 40 million people homes or new homes. 
Each commercial includes voiceovers and text identifying apartments.com and concludes with a tagline that apartments.com is the most popular place to find a place. The advertiser relied on Comscore website traffic data to support its most popular claim, as well as the number one listing network for houses, townhomes, condos, and apartments. It also argued that it has more listings than Zillow. The key issue, as always, is the fit between the claims and the support. We determined that the claims were not supported. Aside from the claim, most popular place to find a place not being limited to the rental market, these are broad superiority claims. While the volume of unique visitors helps measure website reach, it doesn't mean that it's a measure of the number one or most popular website. It doesn't take into account sales or how the search, which actually requires multiple website visits, actually leads to a rental. There are also many metrics that speak to popularity, such as unique visitors, website visits, time on the website, and listings on the website. So the fact that the advertiser has the most unique visitors was just not a good fit for the, the most popular claims. We did say that the advertiser had a reasonable basis for its claim that it has the number one listing network based on uh, listing volume. But we recommended that the basis of the claim, the listing volume, be clearly and conspicuously disclosed to avoid conveying the message that it's the number one network based on popularity. We also recommended that the advertiser discontinue the claim that we're the nation's number one rental network with more than 25 million visitors to our sites uh, each month searching for a new apartment or modify it to better fit the support. So the advertiser appealed NAD's findings as to the most popular claims and the NARB affirmed NAD's decision. One reasonable message conveyed by the most popular tagline they found is that the advertiser site is the preferred site for researching available rental properties. And that's a subjective standard, which wasn't supported by any consumer research. So number one claims are typically associated with sales claims. So Dan, do you want to talk about them and some of the interesting nuances of late? Yeah, sure. I mean, so I guess, Annie, a couple of things I take away from what you just said. I mean, the first thing is that, you know, number one claims are, in fact, claims, right? They're not puffery, at least not to NAD. As you said, they convey a message of superiority based on some measurement. So when an advertiser makes an unqualified number one claim, the question is naturally number one in what? And that could be anything. It could be sales. It could also be consumer preference or price or performance, whatever the advertiser chooses. But if the advertiser does not clearly identify the basis of their number one claim, then what consumers may reasonably understand the claim to be about will often depend on context, such as the nature of the products and the advertising in which the number one claim appears. Traditionally, though, Annie, as you said, number one claims are associated with sales claims, a claim that a brand is number one in sales. So let me talk about that for a second. Because even if a number one claim is used by an advertiser to refer to sales leadership, an advertiser still needs to think carefully about their number one claim to ensure that it is limited to what they can support. 
one of the first things for an advertiser to assess with a number one sales claim is what is the metric of measurement on which the claim is based? Is it based on units sold or is it based on dollar sales? At NAD, we've seen both metrics offered as support for number one claims and even in the same product, product category. You know, one company might be basing their number one claim on units sold, but another company is basing it on dollar sales. This can be confusing for consumers since you could see two companies selling the same type of product and each making apparently identical number one claims at the same time. So what's the best metric to use? NAD has stated that unit sales are a better fit than dollar sales to support a number one brand claim. And this is because dollar sales rankings are going to be influenced by product price. For example, like imagine an advertiser makes the claim that we're the number one household appliances brand. A lot of products fall into the category of household appliances. You know, household appliances could refer to toasters and coffee makers and refrigerators and washing machines. But you'd probably need to sell a lot of toasters to equal the dollar sales of one refrigerator. So a dollar sales ranking is going to be heavily in favor of the company that sells both refrigerators and toasters over the company that just sells toasters. So unit sales are regarded as a better metric for measuring sales leadership. This illustration of the different products that can fall within a broad product category also brings us to the second key consideration that advertisers face when making a number one sales claim, which is you have to be sure to clearly define the product category that is the basis of your claim. What are the products that an advertiser is referring to with their number one claim? This question is important, especially if an advertiser has a wide range of products in its brand portfolio, because consumers may understand an unqualified number one claim to mean that the advertiser is the sales leader with respect to all products under a brand. Is that a message that the advertiser can support? So to avoid this ambiguity, it's important that advertisers clearly identify the products that are the basis of their number one claim. If you're saying that you're the number one brand for a product category, your definition of that product category must align with all reasonable consumer understanding of what that product category includes. For example, let's go back to the claim of number one household appliances brand. Say you only sell large appliances like dishwashers, refrigerators, and ovens. So you intend household appliances in your number one claim to refer to only large kitchen appliances. But consumers are likely to define the household appliances category more broadly. Consumers could reasonably think that vacuum cleaners and blenders, for example, are within your household appliances category. So is your number one claim true if those products are included in your measurement of household appliances sales? Isn't, then the number one claim is gonna be misleading. Consumers can also understand a number one claim is referring to a narrower range of products than what the advertiser may intend. You know, NAD had a case challenging the claim number one carpet cleaning brand. The advertiser calculated its sales leadership among carpet cleaning products based on inclusion of products ranging from 
handheld spray bottle cleaner to vacuum cleaners. But in the marketplace, vacuum cleaners are treated as distinct from the products that typically make up carpet cleaners, which consumers generally understand as foams and sprays. So consumers wouldn't expect vacuum cleaners to be part of the carpet cleaning category on which the advertiser's number one claim was based. And since the advertiser's claim was not supported with respect to this more narrow category of cleaners, an AD recommended that it be discontinued. So an advertiser needs to make sure that it clearly defines the products that are the subject of its number one sales claim. Finally, if an advertiser's number one claim is based on sales, you know, the advertiser has to be vigilant to avoid conveying that their product is number one based on something else. You know, number one claims, as I mentioned, can be based on other factors like price or performance. What consumers may understand the basis of a number one claim to be is always fact-specific and influenced by context. Not just the context of the advertising in which the claim appears, but also the marketplace context for the product. Some products aren't sold by units and instead use number one type claims most often with respect to performance. For those products, consumers may not naturally understand a number one claim as referring to sales. So even if a number one claim is a sales claim, you know, an advertiser is well advised to make it clear to consumers that their number one claim does in fact refer to sales. And, you know, they might do this with a clear and conspicuous disclosure or even better, modifying the claim itself. For example, instead of just number one brand, you know, an advertiser might consider using instead number one selling brand as the claim. And then, of course, you know, an advertiser needs to make sure that their support for their number one claim is current and reliable. Number one sales claims must be supported with data that measures the competing products against which the advertiser's product is compared. For number one brand sales leadership claim, NAD usually will be looking for recent reliable sales data from you know, an independent source like Nielsen or IRI. And advertisers are always obligated to ensure that the most recent data supports their claim of sales leadership. Annie, can you think of other circumstances where the basis of a number one claim needs to be made clear? Sure. Sometimes a number one claim is a line claim, right? And so we've looked at a number of cases where number one claims were being made in the context of of line claims. So for example, the Mahindra case, that was a challenge brought by John Deere. There were many challenge number one claims. Some were relating to sales like uh, World's number one selling tractor. But, and, and some related to the warranty, but I'm going to focus on the number one with best in class loader lift capacity claim. If you do have a line claim, right, it requires testing against at least 85% of the relevant marketplace. We didn't have evidence here as to the uh, combined market share of tractors that served as the basis of comparison. But this broad claim was unqualified, referring to all tractors and all competitors. So we said that they had to, to discontinue the claim, but they could make more limited comparative claims. Like, for example, that a particular Mahindra model was superior in, in lift capacity over a particular uh, competing model and to disclose the basis uh, of the claim. 
and Bear Paints, which was a challenge by Sherwin-Williams. He had a claim that was America's number one rated uh, paints and stains. The advertiser said that that wasn't a line claim, but rather it was qualified because they showed images of three specific uh, products of paint. Well, we disagree. The images were sort of fleeting in nature, right? They showed these three paints at the end of the co commercial alongside the claim America's number one rated uh, paints and stains. And that's after we saw many images of paint cans, right? So we felt that that did not limit the claim at all. In fact, it was basically saying that all bare paint products were rated number one. As it turned out, not all of them were rated number one. They, they vary quite, quite a bit from number one to num even number nine. And so we said that that claim had to be discontinued, but again, they could make a modified claim here based on consumer reports rankings of its paints, as long as the claim identified which products received a number one ranking. And that leads us to the issue of being the best, right? But not the best in all categories. So Dan, can you explain this a little bit more? Well, sure. You know, as we said, like number one claims generally or traditionally refer to sales. But of course, as we also said, number one claims can be made with respect to other factors, such as performance. Uh, number one claims are inherently comparative superiority claims. Okay. So like any superiority claim, an advertiser needs to be clear about what they're claiming superiority in. An unqualified number one claim in a context of performance may convey a message that the advertiser's product is superior in all manners of performance depicted. Can the advertiser support that message? You know, generally they can't. So a number one claim really needs to be narrowly tailored to convey only messages of superiority for which the advertiser has support. Also, it's common for third parties to rank products in many industries. I'm thinking of telecommunications and the automobile industry, for example. A publication may rank a wireless carrier as number one for network coverage. And naturally, that carrier then wants to use that ranking in their advertising. And maybe they want to claim we're ranked number one by X publication. But look, just like with an advertiser's own number one claim, an advertiser must ensure that their reference to a third party's number one ranking of their product doesn't convey an overly broad message that isn't supported. So a couple things to think about if for an advertiser that is considering using a number one ranking claim. One, is the message conveyed by the rank number one claim consistent with the basis of the publication's ranking? For example, if the publication's ranking was based on speed, it would be misleading for an advertiser to simply make an unqualified number one ranking claim. The advertiser must qualify the number one ranking claim to make clear that the ranking is based only on speed and not other performance metrics. Also, what products did the third party evaluate when making their rankings? And does that pool of evaluated products match consumer expectations? Consumers would likely expect a number one ranked pickup truck claim to be based on a comparison of all pickup trucks. 
But if the third party ranked only mid-sized pickup trucks, the claim is probably misleading. In such case, the advertiser needs to clearly disclose the specific products that the third party ranked. Finally, consumers are likely to have expectations about how rankings are conducted. Consumers are going to expect that rankings of measurable attributes are based on reliable and consumer-relevant measurement. So if a number one ranking on a performance attribute, like, say, download speed, is supported only by something like a consumer satisfaction survey, which isn't an objective measurement of speed, but rather a measurement of subjective satisfaction, then the number one ranking claim is misleading. Speaking of surveys, what about the use of surveys to support certain other types of number one claims? Sure. So we've seen number one claims with respect to to surveys, for example, doctor-recommended claims. So we've often said that doctor-recommended claims carry a great deal of weight with uh, consumers. And the strength of a claim dictates the level of support. So a a broad number one doctor-recommended claim requires reliable support. And in the case of surveys, it has to be well-conducted, randomized, statistically significant survey of doctors showing that a substantial uh, percentage of the doctors recommend the product and that it's based on their expertise and that it's something that they recommend as part of their uh, daily practice. So we had a few years back some uh, cases dealing with a number one dermatologist recommended claims. And this was uh, interesting because we had them in a kind of a short span of time and they concerned the same companies alternating between challenger and advertiser in the same product uh, category with survey design really being at the the core of both cases. So one was a challenge by uh, Johnson & Johnson against L'Oreal for their CeraVe product and the other was a challenge by L'Oreal against Johnson & Johnson for the Neutrogena products. So both surveys had a a robust nationwide sample of dermatologists, but they both suffered from the same flaws. Specifically, they had inadequate instructions to the dermatologists on how uh, to record answers and issues with the product categories, which led to the overcounting of answers in both. And in Neutrogena, there was undercounting as there were incomplete brand lists. In the CeraVe case, the survey didn't sufficiently advise respondents about the categories up front, as well as poured recommended products for indications in only one category. You know, so without the appropriate instructions, dermatologists could potentially duplicate their total average weekly recommendations between and among the categories. The dermatologists were also asked on a quarterly basis to indicate their average weekly recommendations which led to guessing, you know, imprecision. And although the categories themselves were not problematic, there were, there were lots of them. So for instance, like 48 categories, which could, which could potentially affect the care and attention that's given, right, to each section. In the Neutrogena survey, in addition to these flaws, uh, it only addressed the claim number one dermatologist recommended skincare brand. There were other claims such as number one dermatologist recommended. And in context, they conveyed a broader message than the number one dermatologist recommended skincare brand. Interestingly, in the CeraVe case, uh, this case was, a, was reopened and we accepted the reopening. And the evidence that they provided, we ultimately found supported 
with a number one dermatologist recommended skincare brand claim. They basically uh, addressed many of the flaws that we found in the underlying uh, case. And they, these cases really underscore the importance of reliable survey data uh, to make impactful claims. Another issue that we look at is taste claims, right? So we've looked at number one claims in that context. And I had to just bring up this case because it was my very first case as an NAD attorney. It's the Fiber One case. This was a challenge brought by Kellogg against General Mills. And among the claims was number one in taste. And we found that the claim could reasonably be interpreted as a broad comparative claim against all other cereals on the market. The advertiser, though, only compared Fiber One to another type of cereal, the Kellogg's All Brand Original, with a tiny, tiny disclaimer saying, tastes better than Kellogg's All Brand Original, which we said contradicted this broad number one comparative claim. So we said that the advertiser could make a more limited, a superior taste claim as to the cereal that was tested they actually had a reliable taste test. So it was a mall intercept test, which seems like who goes to malls anymore? But this was 2004, so it was a different time, which had a large number of participants, over 300 from 10 major geographically dispersed cities and, and other appropriate protocols, blinding similar shelf life products being presented and tested in the same way, cleansing of palates and and with statistically significant results. So with that, I think we can recap and, and just discuss some takeaways. So Dan, why don't you start? Well, a takeaway for me, Annie, is that the basis of a number one claim must be clear. That means an advertiser should be specific about what they are referring to when they say their product is number one. Is it a sales leadership claim? Or is it a claim about performance superiority? If it's a claim about performance superiority, is the message conveyed by the claim limited to only that specific performance for which you can demonstrate superiority through adequate support? You know, an advertiser must also be clear about the products that, that are the subject of the number one claim. Clarity about the basis of your number one claim will control the messages that are conveyed to consumers and an advertiser can then ensure that their support fits the full scope of the claim. What about you, Manny? What do you take away? Well, I think another thing to keep in mind is to trust but verify. A lot of the cases we've discussed dealt with sales claims, and that data can fluctuate, as can other data. So you have to make sure that you're constantly checking to see that your number one claim is still supported. And it's important to remember that there are also new entrants in the marketplace, right, that can affect your claim. And also there might be product changes, right? You added an ingredient or two or, or removed one. That means that you might have to retest. So if you're making a number one claim that's based on superior performance, that might no longer be the case. So you might not need to retest and determine if that's still the case. So there you have it, dear listeners. Number one claims communicate powerful messages of comparative superiority over competitors and can be very effective in advertising a product or service. But powerful claims require careful use and strong support. We hope that this brief discussion will be of benefit to you in your future consideration of number one claims. See you next time. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Ad Watchers. Be sure to check out our previous episodes at accountabilitystudio.org, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to get notified about our next episode. Until then, leave us a review and let us know what you'd like to hear us discuss later this season. <music>